This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. I'm Claudio Mendonca. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Coming up, the California Report brings us to Del Paso Heights in Sacramento County, where fentanyl-related deaths have spiked, and explore the potential reasons as to why that could be. After a look at local news and weather, KVMR's Paul Emery talks with retired Fed economist Gary Zimmerman for another edition of The Economic Report. Tonight, the two discuss the Federal Reserve's recent decision not to raise interest rates. We close with a commentary by Paul Elias. This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. And these are some California stories we're following. Actors are back out on the picket lines outside Hollywood studios as the sag after strike continues. Now that the tentative deal has been reached with writers, many are wondering whether that group will continue to support actors on the picket lines. But actor and sag after member Jason T. Gaffney says he's sure they will. I've gotten a ton of messages from the WGA members saying, like, I'll see you on Tuesday. They're going to be there supporting SAG now and, and saying things like, yes, I know we're no longer on strike and we're, we can't wait for you to be off, uh, uh, done with your strike, too. And Governor Gavin Newsom signed new legislation yesterday, making it hard for schools to ban books. The measure would fine districts for rejecting textbooks and library materials. It would also make it easier to appeal a school board's book ban. Newsom says this legislation is a direct result of an increase in book bans across the state. In the state of California, where we have school districts, large and small, banning books, uh, banning free speech, criminalizing librarians and teachers. And we want to do more than just push back rhetorically against that. And that's what this legislation provides. In Shasta County, residents have gathered enough signatures to trigger a recall election for Supervisor Kevin Cry. Cry voted to terminate the county's contract with Dominion Voting Systems and go to manually tallying ballots. Recall supporters say that move wastes millions of taxpayer dollars for an unproven voting system. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org lbca. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com ca. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill increasing penalties for child trafficking. As KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer explains, the legislation almost died in committee. Senate Bill 14 toughens criminal penalties for anyone caught trafficking children, making it a serious felony that would count under California's three-strikes law. 
More prison time for selling minors into commercial sex rings seems like a no-brainer, but after the bill passed the state Senate unanimously in May, it almost died in an assembly committee known as a graveyard for criminal enhancements. The bill was authored by Bakersfield Republican Shannon Grove, not usually an ally of the governor, but Newsom took up the cause, as did the new assembly speaker Robert Rivas. The bill was resurrected with amendments and passed the assembly without opposition last month. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Fentanyl-related deaths are up in California by a lot. And it's no different in Sacramento County, which jumped from 17 fentanyl-related deaths in 2018 to 227 last year. And this year, more Black people and more unhoused people are dying than ever before. One neighborhood nonprofit is trying to save lives by getting drug users to recognize what might be causing their use in the first place. Cap Radio's healthcare reporter Kate Wolf has the story. The Neighborhood Wellness Foundation is doing its first encampment outreach effort in an area of Sacramento called Del Paso Heights. Dr. Gina Warren hands boxes of Narcan, the opioid reversal medicine, to three people standing in front of their tents. Are you aware of how to use that Narcan? Then Warren asks the group about their childhoods, specific questions about abuse, incarceration, and death in the family. She told them these factors could be contributing to where they're at right now. At the end, she invited them to the weekly healing circle at the nonprofit's headquarters. Wednesday, 10 o'clock? In the morning. In the morning. Okay? All right. Cross the street from Jimmy's. You know where it is. Yeah. On the way back to the car, Warren praised one of the men for taking what she says is the hardest step, acknowledging the trauma. It's like that's what we want you to recognize. Ain't nothing to be ashamed about because it's not what you wanted. It's just what happened and this is what you've experienced. So over the past five years, almost 40 deaths in Del Paso Heights have been linked to fentanyl. It's an extremely powerful synthetic opioid and two milligrams, enough to fit on the tip of a pencil, can kill you. So we're seeing an alarming increase in particular areas across Sacramento County, particularly those communities of color. Lori Miller is with the county health department. She says this year, over a quarter of the fentanyl-related deaths have been among black people, who make up just 10 percent of the county's population. 30 percent of deaths have been among unhoused people. The county says it's not sure why the demographics are changing. I think as we're looking at this data and analyzing it moving forward, we'll be able to have a better picture of what kind of specific targeted outreach and services that we need to have in those areas. The county has partnered with organizations like Neighborhood Wellness to distribute the Narcan and make whatever impact possible. Dr. Gina Warren grew up in Del Paso Heights. She went to UC Berkeley and then the School of Pharmacology at UC San Francisco. While practicing as a pharmacist, she met a kid who'd just gotten out of juvenile detention. He said, I don't need another drug. I need somebody to talk to. And that woke me up. I mean, in a way that nothing else could have. And it was like, is this really healthcare? Is this wellness? And and the answer was no. In 2015, she co-founded the Neighborhood Wellness Foundation. The foundation hosts healing circles dedicated to helping people recognize how adverse childhood experiences, also called ACEs, shaped their lives today. These experiences include abuse, neglect, and household challenges. They make it much more likely that someone will have chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance use issues. Warren says they're key. Why are we looking at the substance abuse um, and we're not looking at childhood trauma? 
you cannot do that and, and think that you're going to change anything unless you're dealing at the root cause of it. Back at the outreach event, Warren kept talking to people about why they were out here. Then she had a realization. She told another staffer, Sonia Smith. You know what we're going to do? We're going to post up healing circles out here. We should. We know we are. We should. We're going to do that. For Warren, this is how change gets made. Talking to each other, one circle at a time. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. And that's The California Report for Tuesday, September 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. And in local news, a press release from the Nevada County Sheriff's Office announced today that they've been awarded a grant of almost $100,000 from the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control. NCSO Sergeant Andrew Liller said that this is, quote, important to Nevada County in order to increase protection for youth and to address crime at problem locations, end quote. This grant is one of nearly 50 recently awarded in California to local law enforcement agencies through the ABC's Alcohol Policing Partnership Program. These grants aim to strengthen local law enforcement efforts by combining theirs with ABC agents who have expertise in alcoholic beverage laws. The goal is to help reduce alcohol-related harm within the community. The release goes on to say that these newly acquired funds will be used to help prevent alcoholic beverage sales to minors and obviously intoxicated patrons, curb illegal solicitations of alcohol, and fight other criminal activities. And the Union newspaper is reporting that at this week's meeting, the city council in Nevada City will consider approving the purchase, installation, and two-year maintenance agreement for six new security cameras. The total cost of the project estimated to be just over $40,000. According to the staff report cited in the article, at least one of the proposed cameras would be placed at the Commercial Street parking lot, another overlooking Broad Street in the Historic District, and at least two at Pioneer Park. That Nevada City City Council meeting will be held on September 27th at 6.30 p.m. in the conference room of City Hall at 317 Broad Street in Nevada City. Turning now to a look at regional weather from the National Weather Service in Grass Valley and Nevada City. Tonight, clear with a low around 49 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 73. Tomorrow night, clear with a low around 49. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 36. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 66. And tomorrow night, mostly clear with a low around 34. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight clear with a low around 55 degrees. Tomorrow sunny with a high near 83 and tomorrow night, clear, with a low around 55 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. At their monetary policy meeting last week, the Federal Reserve policymakers decided against raising interest rates. Coming up, KVMR's Paul Emery and retired federal economist Gary Zimmerman bring us the details. 
This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City. RickKalb.com. Gary, uh, can you describe why the Fed held their target interest rate steady after making, uh, what was it, 11, I think it was 11, right, interest rate increases since uh, 20 or 2022? Well, Paul, it is 11 increases. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been pretty clear or transparent in describing their policy as data-driven, and it looks like they needed more time and more data to better evaluate the significant uncertainties and risks and policy lags they face in monitoring you know, inflation and economic conditions uh, before they make a policy decision. Well, Gary, uh, what do you mean by uncertainties facing the policymakers? What does that mean? <laughs> well, Paul, as I see it, the risks and uncertainties include knowing sort of how fast the inflation rate is falling today and forecasting how fast it will fall in the future. And I describe the future here as over the next couple of years. And I think Fed, Fed policymakers needed more time to evaluate just how effective those cumulative impacts from those 11 interest rates increases have been in slowing the economy and moving inflation towards their 2% inflation goal. And another uncertainty is that there are, you know, economists often say long and variable lags uh, between when the Fed makes a monetary policy action, like raising interest rates or lowering them, and when those impacts have uh, an impact on the economy, oh, and then later on inflation. So, you know, another key concern I have today is, you know, how tight the labor markets are even after those 11 interest rate increases. With August's small increase in the unemployment rate, you know, up to 3.8% of the civilian labor force, you know, that indicator, for example, still remains below the 4% unemployment rate that most Fed policymakers expect to see when the economy is at full employment. So, you know, tight labor markets are suggesting to the Fed that the economy may not have slowed down enough. Well, it's pretty subtle any way you look at it at this point. <laughs> what about economic output or GDP growth? Has it slowed down much? Could higher interest rates still push the economy into a recession? Well, that's a good one, Paul. Um, and there are important uncertainties for the overall economic outlook, um, as well as inflation in the labor markets. Um, some economists worry that the economy could fall into a recession, while others, and I'd say that's probably the majority now, see that the economic growth has picked up some speed in, in the last quarter um, in spite of the higher interest rates, and they are more optimistic. Um, you know, another, you know, another risk to consider is that with, you know, if the economy is growing too rapidly, GDP is growing too rapidly, we could see a slower decline in inflation or worse, uh, inflation start rising again. So, you know, that's, a, that's another risk that they have to be aware of um, in terms of making policy. You know, I think today, most public and private economic growth forecasts for the remainder of 2023 and 2024 generally look favorable. Um, at the same time, there are you know other risks and shocks to consider. We've got rising global energy prices in recent months. Now it could both slow the economy and drive up the inflation rate. You also have a, a government shutdown and strikes that could disrupt the economy and slow growth. So, you know, facing these major uncertainties and risks, it looks like the Fed likely wanted to take more time and have more data to evaluate how the economy and inflation are doing um, before moving rates up or down. 
Kind of like driving a car, Gary. You can't drive too fast and you can't drive too slow. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are consequences if you do either one. <laughs> Gary, did the Fed policymakers make any new projections for the economy and inflation over the maybe the next year or two? Yes, they did publish a new set of, uh, in September, a new set of policymaker projections for the years ending 2023, 24, 25, and 26. The changes there are mostly positive, uh, not large. Um, Fed policymakers, for example, projected that overall economic growth in 2023 will be much faster than they did just six months ago, and even a little faster than average GDP growth. Um, So that's, you know, that's good news. Um, their projections for the labor market, you know, show that being a little better as well. With the economy at or near full employment, that's a slight improvement from their June projections. And their their inflation projections remain similar, with inflation falling to 2.2 percent by the end of 2025, and thus approaching the Fed's you know 2 percent inflation goal. So these are pretty optimistic projections, but I think it's so important to remember that, you know, these occur uh, if the economy and inflation move as the Fed expects them to. And if monetary policy is on target and we don't get any, you know, major shocks to the economy, Um, you know, moreover, I think it's important to understand that, you know, based on the comments at the statement from the last meeting, uh, we can see expect to see another rate hike uh, before the end of 2023 and only a small reduction in interest rates in 2024, you know, maybe 50 basis points or half a percentage point. You know, still not everyone's expecting a soft landing um, and as inflation, you know, falls. There are some you know, differences of opinion. There were public comments today from one of the Fed presidents saying he thought there was a, you know, 60% chance that they would get a, a soft landing with inflation coming down. So, you know, interesting times. Uh, one more question, Gary, and this is kind of a, a, a good one. I think it's important. Is the Fed the only central bank that has been raising interest rates to slow inflation? Or are other central banks following similar policies as the Fed? Oh, that's an easy one, Paul. Yes, other major central banks have been raising interest rates to slow their economies and to lower their inflation rates, which which generally have been lower than they have been in the U.S. Uh, most of them have been, you know, raising interest rates, and and we've also seen a few of them pause as well, or expected to pause their rate increases as they, you know, evaluate, you know, how their home economies and inflation are doing. So, yeah, pretty much major central banks are doing very similar things. Gary. Thanks a lot. Look forward to our next chat in a couple of weeks. Thank you. You're welcome, Paul. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. We close tonight's newscast with a commentary from longtime Nevada County resident Paul Elias. You could say that Paul knows his way around a dumpster. He's worked in the waste industry since the early 80s as both a small business owner and as a manager for some of the world's largest waste and recycling companies. Here's Paul. This is Trash Talking Paul, here to throw back the dumpster lid and let the flies fly. Speaking of flies, do any of you know about the amazing large maggots you may have noticed in your food waste compost bin when temps are warm? 
Black soldier flies, BSF for short, they're incredibly beneficial, found on every continent but the Antarctic. But don't confuse them with pesty and bacteria-carrying houseflies. Black soldier flies, BSF for short, will outcompete houseflies, carry no bacteria, aren't pesties, and will eat, aka convert, much better than composting redworms. Nearly all food waste you throw at them, including meat, dairy, pasta, bread, oils, dead mice, I have photographic proof, things you wouldn't put into your compost, and as larvae are 60% protein, 60%. Compare that with fish and chicken at only 20% and beef at 10%. And leave it to the Dutch, they are raising huge numbers at automatic BSF farms and harvesting larvae for not only poultry and agricultural feed, but for the resulting oil as well. Some of the best industrial lubricants ever found. As you may already tell, I truly enjoy the fascinating world of trash and waste. But enough of the tangents. As my time is short, let's get started on local Western Nevada County trash basics. Where does most of the Western Nevada County trash go when the green painted trucks collect it? Any guesses? If you said our trash is stuffed into 40-foot trailers at the McCourtney Road Transfer Station daily, carrying 20 tons of garbage up basically two mountain passes through two heavily air-polluted air basins, Truckee and Reno, and landing at Lockwood, Nevada, some 100 miles away to the mega waste management landfill, and thus entombed into eternity. Bingo, you're right. Now, if you'd ask this question to a kindergartner, What's better, to pull up a heavy weight up a steep ramp, like, say, a playground slide, or let it slide down the slide with you? Which would you choose? I know my four-year-old grandson and what he would choose. You'd let it slide down with you. But that's not how it's done in western Nevada County. Even though a very good running dump, i.e. landfill, is downhill south of Marysville in Wheatland, 80 miles round trip. Nope, the county went with the hard route to haul hundreds of long-haul garbage trucks year-round up Highway 20. Those long-haul trucks continue over Donner Pass to an elevation of 7,000 feet onto Lockwood, Nevada, 200 miles round trip. Does that make sense? It does for waste management, not so for our environment. Now, where does green waste go? Burn, baby, burn to a Lincoln power plant that generates renewable energy. Sounds good, but really the better would be if that green waste was turned into nutrient-rich compost. Next you ask, where do the recyclables I put into the collection bin or drop off that the transfer station go? Now there's a real mystery. To start, they again get stuffed into long-haul trucks coming up from Lodi daily and transloaded to another mega waste management sorting facility in South Sacramento. But that's only the beginning of their world tour journey. Why do we have fewer opportunities than any time in my 35 years of recycling in Western Nevada County and waste reduction? If you listen to waste management, it's the fault of the Chinese. B.S. The Chinese and Europe cut us off because of the garbage they were receiving, even medical waste labeled as recyclables. 
I leave you with these words of wisdom told to me by the very wise owner of Napa Upper Valley Disposal, Bob Pistoni. Rest in peace, Bob. If you're not generating waste, you're most likely a goner. A quick reminder that the views and opinions in the preceding commentary are Paul's alone and not necessarily those of KVMR, its board, staff, volunteers, contributors, or underwriters. KVMR is supported by Dignity Health, providing a comprehensive range of medical expertise with doctors and hospitals focused on diagnosis and treatment from minor health concerns to more complex conditions. Details at dignityhealth.org slash our locations and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Thanks for listening and for supporting local media. (laughs) 